And here we go, everybody. Another edition of Jamal About Sports coming to you on a Tuesday, December 28th. 2021, as we are about to put 2021 in the rear view, kicking off the show, Shake the Disease by Depeche Mode. Uh, thought it was somewhat apropos, given uh, the unfortunate turn of events here with the Omicron variant as it uh, <clears throat> rages through the country. Um, the silver lining, I guess, is that it is a uh, seems to be a much less... Um, virulent strain than than uh the original covid uh variant and or the delta uh covid variant uh, but certainly disrupting uh sports all over the place pro sports college sports uh the fourth uh bowl game has been canceled uh four hours before kickoff the uh, ucla versus nc state on the holiday bowl in san diego is supposed to be played tonight at eight o'clock he just announced about an hour ago that that game will be canceled now because of issues with COVID in the ucla program um it's a major issue in the nba it's a major issue in the nfl um so it is certainly impacting uh the sports world uh not surprising of course um as well as of course the rest of the world um so do your best to stay safe out there get vaccinated get boosted um, I am double vaxxed. I am boosted. I came in close contact with two people that tested positive for, uh, COVID a couple of Saturdays ago. And thankfully last Thursday, I uh, was able to get a rapid test, which is obviously an issue, um, getting tested. Uh, but I was able to get a rapid test and thankfully tested negative. So the vaccines work. Uh, this idiotic idea now that, oh, I'm not going to get vaccinated because look, um, you know, there's these other strains. Well, they work. Uh, I'm here to tell you that they work. So, um, you know, whatever. It's the dumbest reason. It's, it's because of people that won't get vaccinated that these uh, strains keep happening, by the way. So, all right, I'll get off my soapbox and let's move on. To some lighter fare, <clears throat> that being sports. So we're going to talk NFL first. We'll talk a little bit actually about the Lions. Um, look, record's bad. We knew it was going to be bad. What you wanted to see if you were a Lions fan is improvement throughout the course of the season, and we've seen that. And the other thing you wanted to see was what does this new coaching staff look like? Obviously, front and center, Dan Campbell, the head coach. What's his, what are his philosophies going to be uh, as far as he's going to be aggressive? He's going to be conservative. Is he going to be a good in-game manager as far as clock, clock management is concerned? Um, is he going to hold players accountable? Uh, is he going to have buy-in from the players? Um, those were things you wanted to see. Those were questions that we wanted to get answers to. You wanted to also see who from the young players, the rookies, the second, third, four year, fourth-year guys, the younger players on the team, who do you want to be? part of the core moving forward as this rebuild moves into year two next season. And I think you've gotten a lot of answers to those questions. We'll start with the coach. <clears throat> Listen, Dan Campbell has had some, some, some bumpy, uh, some bumps in the road, so to speak. To be expected for a first-year head coach, also coaching a not very talented roster. But the things that you love about Dan Campbell are, A, his honesty, he doesn't take himself seriously. He admits when he makes mistakes. 
He's self-deprecating. He's got a good sense of humor. He's extremely easy to root for. So from a fan and a media perspective, he's great. But from a player's perspective, you can tell these guys love him. They love him. And that's because he's authentic. He's honest with them. He's not a pushover. He's a tough guy. He's a throwback. He's an old-school football guy, right? Blocking tight end. Went to Texas A&M. You know, dude looks like he could still probably play today. So he's not one of these warm and fuzzy guys from a standpoint of, I'm going to let the players do whatever they want and roll over me. No, 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 no. But he seems to have struck the proper balance between being demanding but not being a jerk about it, admitting when he's wrong, holding guys accountable, and making them feel as if he has their best interests at heart because he does. And listen, as somebody who works for a major corporation and is an employee in a pretty high-pressure, high-profile field, uh, that's all you want from a leader is you want somebody that you know has your back. They can be demanding, but fair, right? You, that's all you can ask for. That I know they have my best interests at heart. They're demanding, but they're fair. And that's what Campbell has done this year. I mean, talk about a breath of fresh air, particularly given the disaster that was Matt Patricia prior to this. And even Jim Caldwell, who I've said many, many times on this show, and everybody I think would agree, very nice man and not a bad coach. But, you know, uh, and the players loved him too. But I think there was just something a little bit lacking there. You know, I think Jim Caldwell's the kind of guy that, yes, if he has stars and everything breaks right, can, can he get you to a Super Bowl? Maybe. Are you going to have year-in-year-out success? No. Are you ever going to be really bad and embarrassing? No. Right, but he he lives in that you know nine and seven, ten and six, eight and eight, seven and nine space. That's kind of where he lives, and it, and I'm not saying that as a knock. Um, and of course, look, uh, <laughs> firing him and hiring Patricia turned out to be an idiotic move. We know this, um, but anyway, there's no sense in looking back to the Jim Caldwell era. Dan Campbell's the guy now. He he has garnered the respect and the admiration of his players. Um, and it's been a real nice thing to see this year. And by the way, he's improved as far as the in-game stuff is concerned. Look, he took over play calling duties. First couple of weeks looked uh, shaky at best. Seems to have improved as the season's gone on. Uh, he's, you know, super aggressive, maybe sometimes to a fault, although I'd rather that than the Jim Caldwell types who are conservative to a fault. You know, the Lions go for it a ton on fourth down. They've had like three or four fake punts this year. I think three of them have worked. Uh, One, they just did one this last last week against Atlanta. Um, You know, look, the the Lions got the ball back late, had a chance to win it, got picked off. You know, their backup quarterback, Tim Boyle's in there. What are you going to do? Not the end of the world. It's a backup quarterback. Um, You know, Campbell came out and said, look, I wish I would have called a different play, giving him a, a little bit more help. I mean, not a lot of coaches say that or do that. So you got to love that. So, um, look, <laughs> uh, it, it, he, it, it, that hire may just be unconventional enough to actually work because the Lions have been going the conventional route for years. They've hired the hot young coordinator in Jim Schwartz, who I was convinced was the guy. He turned out to not be the guy. Now, I will go to my grave saying... No, got, no coach was more unlucky than Jim Schwartz. None. And given the disaster that he took over, the Matt Millen era, 
He did a phenomenal job, at least early. Had them with 10 wins and in the playoffs three years after going 0-16. But that didn't work. Caldwell, the you know experienced, steady hand, that didn't work. Pat, Matt Patricia, another you know hot coordinator, that didn't work. You can go on and on. Right, Mariucci didn't work. Mornenweg didn't work. So, you know, look, here's Dan, Dan Campbell. He's never been a coordinator. Yes, he has some head coaching experiences in interim with the Dolphins, but that was like five years ago. Um, you know, you have a tight ends coach, basically. But sometimes you surround yourself with good coordinators, which he's done, certainly on defense. Aaron Glenn has done a tremendous job. I mean, you consider the Lions are missing pretty much every key player on their defense or most of their key players, and the defense has played as well as it has, Aaron Glenn deserves a ton of credit. That guy's going to be a head coach in the league in, in three years. Um, but he's surrounded himself with good assistants. Do Staley, running back coach. Aubrey Pleasant, secondary coach. Kept, was smart enough to keep Hank Fraley, the offensive line coach, who does a tremendous job with the offensive line. Smart enough to keep him. Think they kept Ben Johnson, tight ends coach, who's contributed a lot to the passing game. Um, apparently, the last few weeks, you know. So, listen, he's done. I, I think Campbell has done a tremendous job this year. I really do. I think the future is very bright. Now, you're going to tell me that he's in love with Jared Goff, and he just publicly came out and said he thinks he can be the guy next year. What's he going to say? No. I mean, I, I wouldn't. I would take that with a, a, a large grain of salt. I certainly hope that the Lions organization realizes they need to do better than Jared Goff. Now, to be fair, Jared Goff had been playing much better lately when, with the emergence of rookie wide receiver Amon Ross St. Brown, the addition of Josh Reynolds, with whom Goff had played in L.A. and has some chemistry, um, and, and a good offensive line, and, and you know whomever they run out there running back, because all the running backs have been hurt this year or missed time with COVID or whatever, um, guys have played well. So once the supporting cast around him has gotten better, he's looked a lot better, no surprise. But I still don't think he's the guy. And I think the Lions will be looking to draft a quarterback in the first round of this draft. So I think Campbell's been a home run so far. Oh, look, I don't want to go crazy. You know, the Lions are going to win at most three games. They maybe could beat Seattle this week. Maybe they beat Green Bay last game of the year in Detroit if, if Green Bay rests their guys because they don't need the game because they have got home field wrapped up, which they certainly could have by then. Uh, as Arizona seems to be in free fall mode. We'll get to them in a little while. Although Dallas has now gotten red hot. Got to look at their schedule the last three games here and see. Um, but Green Bay could very much be in a position where they are in a driver's seat last game of the year and the game is meaningless to them. So they'll just rest guys. Um, but again, it was never about the record this year. Campbell's answered all the questions in my mind that you wanted answered. And uh, I, again, I think the future is bright. Which brings us to the second topic, which is who are the young guys you can identify that are going to be part of the core moving forward? It's been a bunch, actually. It's been a bunch. You start with Amon Ross St. Brown, who I just mentioned. 
fourth round pick wide receiver out of USC. You know, he's not the biggest guy, six feet, about 200 pounds, not the fastest guy, four, five, five, 40 guy, but he runs crisp routes. He's tough as nails. He's got good hands. He blocks. He's tenacious. He loves football. And he has come on strong the last four or five weeks. He had another big game again. You caught the game-winning touchdown against Minnesota to get them their first win. He played great in the Arizona game, had a long touchdown, 37-yard touchdown in that game, played great this last week against Atlanta, nine catches, 90 yards, and a touchdown. He's got 74 catches on the season. He's not a home run threat. He's never going to be, you know, he's, he's a move-the-chains kind of guy. I think he'll get a little bit better with some of the run after the catch stuff as he gets even smarter and, and, and you know, more established in the league. But, you know, look, he's got a good chance for 90 catches, 900 yards, and four or five touchdowns. I mean, for a, a fourth-round pick, rookie, you take that all day, every day. Now, they got to get a real true number one. And, you know, I look, but I think he can be a number two for sure. You know, DJ Moore, light kind of guy. You know, a lot of people compare him to Heinz Ward. Sure, take that all day. So he's been a revelation. He's been great. Jalen Reeves may have been fourth-year linebacker. Maybe this is his fifth year, right? He was drafted in 17. Uh, always a special team stalwart. Previous administration had no use for him while they trotted out old hacks like Jamie Collins that they overpaid to a guy who's a bum and only ever shows up for the Patriots. Stunk for the Browns, stunk for the Lions. Reeves Mabin has played great this year. Amani Oruwarie, who just got hurt, of course, in the Arizona game, but is having a great year with six interceptions. He's played great in his second year. Tall corner. Rookie D tackle Lee McNeil's come on lately. Jerry Jacobs, we talked about, the undrafted free agent corner out of Arkansas, was having a phenomenal year until he got hurt. Same with A.J. Parker, undrafted free agent, rookie corner from Kansas State, was playing, has played well. Derek Barnes, the linebacker, fourth-round pick out of Purdue, has shown flashes. The whole offensive line has played well this year. The running backs have, you know, Craig Reynolds, guy came out of nowhere. They call him Netflix because he was on his couch watching Netflix in the preseason. He's shown flashes. DeAndre Swift, when he's played, has looked good. Although, unfortunately, he appears to be a star-cross guy who's going to always be hurt because he's always been hurt so far in his young NFL career. And uh, still too many drops and fumbles for my taste, too. Talented player, but I don't know. Again, talented and good, two different things. Same thing with TJ Hawkinson. But there's, there's pieces there. Look, the Lions have the makings of a very good offensive line. They need a true stud number one receiver. You can find another running back. I don't think they need one. As far as I'm concerned, they're set. Jamal Williams will be back. Swift will be back. Jamar Jefferson's a rookie. Craig Reynolds. I mean, that's fine. They got plenty of running back. They need some depth at tight end. They need some depth on the offensive line. Those are easy to find. Those are mid to late round picks in the draft or, or you know, not you know, mid-tier free agent signings. They need a stud receiver. They need, you know, they need two upgrades at receiver. They need one stud and one quasi-stud. And you put those two guys with Amon Ross St. Brown and you've got a very the makings of a very good receiver core. And of course, they need a quarterback. 
Now, look, I'm okay with Goff being the placeholder next year. You know, look, if they fall in love with this Malik Williams from Liberty or Kenny Pickett from Pitt, and maybe they trade down a few slots, you know, they're probably going to have the second or the third pick, um, and they can pick up an extra pick. I mean, look, you know, everybody is claiming, you know, no quarterbacks are, are worthy of being a top 10 pick. Uh, I got news for you. Nobody thought Daniel Jones was worthy of the sixth pick in the draft either until the Giants talked themselves into him and fell in love with him. Okay. So, and I didn't think he was worthy of that. I thought he was a late first, early second round pick. I mean, I liked him. Decent player at Duke. Athletic, you know, certainly ability. Not the sixth pick in the draft. But look, the Lions may talk themselves in or, and or fall in love with one of these guys. You see it every year. Teams do it all the time. Look at the Bears did with Mitch Trubisky. Gave up their whole draft to move up one spot to draft the guy. How'd that work out? So, look, I hope the Lions don't do that and overreach for a guy. They have two first-round picks. Maybe you use the, the second, the second first-round pick, which is the Rams pick, which is going to be a late first-round pick. Maybe you move up into the teens to take a guy like Pickett or Malik Williams and let those guys sit for a year while Goff is the placeholder. I don't hate that at all. In fact, that's what I would prefer that they do. So we'll see. But you never know. Look, some other team may fall in love with one of these guys and and give you a king's ransom for number two. Or somebody may desperately want Thibodeau or Aiden Hutchinson, the two pass rushers, at two, and you trade down to, you know, 10 and get a king's ransom for that pick. And then you take a quarterback and you take, you know, uh, the, the best stud receiver that's out there. They got plenty, plenty of options. All right, moving on. It's an interesting week here in the NFL. Um, the Bengals had it all, have it all in front of them. And usually in past years, you know, that would be probably the worst thing for the Bengals. But talked about them before. They, they are a, a talented team on both sides of the ball, particularly on offense, right? Joe Burrow, the quarterback, has played Really well at times this year. He's also played poorly at times. They've got a receiving core that any team would love to have in the stud rookie out of LSU, Jamar Chase. Tyler Boyd is now the, the, the veteran of the group. I think this is only his fourth year. Like He's turned into basically their top slot guy uh, out of pit. And then they've got T. Higgins, a big tall stud from Clemson. Those are their three receivers. And then they've got Joe Mixon in the backfield, who's fantastic. So their skill positions are fantastic. And Zoma, the tight end's not bad either. Now their offensive line's a little shaky at times. That's why some people thought they should have taken Penai Sewell at five instead of Jamar Chase. Look, they're both really good players. Um and they've got some players on defense. They've got a D line that can get after the quarterback. With Trey Hendrickson, the big uh, free agent signing from the Saints. Um, Sam Hubbard, draft pick out of Ohio State a couple years ago, has played very well for them. Um, Larry Ogunjabi, who is a uh, free agent signing away from the Browns at D-Tackle, is a very good pass rusher. They've got some players. They've got some players in the secondary. With uh, Jesse Bates, his safety. Um, Chidi, uh, 
Awuzie, the kid from uh, Colorado that was the Cowboys' first-round pick a few years back. So, I mean, they've, they've got some players on defense. Logan Wilson, a linebacker out of Wyoming who can play. And look, I understand they were playing against uh, Josh Johnson, who's on his, like, 29th team. That guy's been around forever. He was on the Jets earlier this year. The Ravens were, were, were ravaged by COVID. I mean, so Lamar Jackson's hurt with an ankle, but then his backup, um, Huntley, the kid out of Utah, who's played well, he was on the COVID list, so they had to turn to Josh Johnson. Josh Johnson didn't play terribly, but the Ravens also have a ton of injuries in the secondary, and Joe Burrow lit him up for 500 yards and four touchdowns. You know, this Bengals offense reminds me of the Lions offense in 1995 that set all kinds of records at the time when they had Scott Mitchell, Herman Moore, Brett Perriman and Johnny Morton, and then, of course, Barry Sanders. And they just went off. So they beat the Ravens. So they've got it all in front of them now. They control their own destiny. I mean, look, they have a very hard game this week against the Chiefs, right? The Chiefs are still driving to try. They, they after you know being mediocre to start the year, the Chiefs have, have gotten it into gear. Uh, their defense has played much better. They are uh, leading the West con- comfortably. I think they've clinched the West. Yes, they have. But they want to have home field throughout the playoffs, and that is not wrapped up for them quite yet. But the Bengals, at 9-6, and six, are in first place in the, in the AFC North. You've got the Ravens at 8-7, and seven, but they are, you know, a mash unit at this point. The Steelers at 7-7-1 seven, seven, and one are, are on fumes. And the Browns had a crushing defeat to the Packers on Christmas night or afternoon. They're 7-8. and eight. They're not done, but they're done. And that game, I mean, that was frustrating. They got down. They came back. They ran the ball down the Packers' throats. Nick Chubb did whatever he wanted, got whatever he wanted. Um... The backup running back, too, had a good game. But Mayfield just was awful. He had three interceptions in the first half. Looked as if he was going to have a chance to overcome it through an interception to seal the game. Of course, the Packers defensive back totally grabbed the receiver, kept him off of his route. Mayfield threw the ball. You know, it was like an in-cut. Mayfield threw the ball where he thought the receiver was going to be, but the receiver wasn't there because he was being held by the Packers defensive back. But, of course, it's the Packers, and they're playing at home. Actually, no, it wasn't at home. It was in Cleveland, right? But, of course, they uh, got the call. The Packers did. Didn't, you know, there was no call. Game over. Typical. But so the Bengals have it all right there in front of them. So they're last. So they're 9-6. and six. So there's two games left, not three. I think I said there's three games left in the season. Uh, the 17-game season has now, of course, confused me. So let's see who, since he's got these last... Two games, right? Because he had nine and seven. So there's two games left. So they have, they've got, I know they've got Kansas City at home this week. And then they're at Cleveland last game of the year. That's not going to be an easy game either. Because even if Cleveland is uh, eliminated from the playoffs, uh, again, who knows though with COVID, right? So, I mean, Cleveland could be playing, um, you know, who knows at quarterback again, right? Who had to play for them a couple of weeks ago? Because, uh Mayfield and Case Keenum was were were, were both out. Um, 
So who knows? But assuming Cleveland has their full complement or close to it of guys, that's not going to be an easy game. It's in Cleveland. Cleveland and Cincinnati hate each other historically, and Cleveland would like nothing more than to knock Cincinnati out of the playoffs or damage at least their playoff positioning. So these last two games are not going to be easy for the Bengals. And if they win both of them, that is a huge sign that perhaps they really have turned the corner. You know, they won ugly at Denver two weeks ago, which is a good sign, 15-10. They lost a heartbreaker to San Francisco the week before that in overtime on a field goal late. Um, you know, they blew out the Raiders. They blew out Pittsburgh. I mean, look, they've looked great at times, right? Then they had that, that bad loss to the Jets earlier in the year. Uh, I mean, they're, they're a hard team to figure out. Look, they're a talented team. They should be a playoff team. Let's see if the Bengals actually show us that this is not the same old Bengals. I mean, look, they win one of these next two games. They should probably be in. Because that gets them to 10 wins. And I don't think... Let's see. Well, let's take a look. Let's look who Baltimore has. Because Baltimore is the closest team to them. We'll see who Baltimore's got these next these last two games. Because I, I don't know the tiebreaker yet. So if Baltimore were to win out and Cincinnati were to lose out, they would both be 10-7. and seven. But let's take a look at the Ravens' schedule. And I think it's still yet to be determined. I think maybe Lamar Jackson might be back this week. But let's take a look. Baltimore's got at the Rams this week. That's a tough ask. Rams need the game. Uh, sorry, no, they're home against the Rams. Okay, still tough, tough game. And they're home against Pittsburgh. Same thing. Pittsburgh ain't great. Um, Roethlisberger looks like it's finally the end of the road for him. I mean, they looked awful against the Chiefs this past Sunday. One of the worst performances the Steelers team's probably ever had in the Mike Tomlin era. Um, but Pittsburgh, again, you know, they, they, they hate each other too. Division game. They'd love nothing more than to knock Baltimore off their perch. So, um, two tough games for Baltimore too. So let's assume Baltimore is going to go one and one. That's going to give them nine and eight. The Bengals just need to win one of these last two damn games to go 10 and seven and win the division. And I hope they do. Cause they're an entertaining team to watch or a fun team to watch. I'd like to watch them in the playoffs and they could be scary. They could be scary. That's the kind of team that they get hot. They, they will be a tough out for anybody. Because they've got tons of firepower on offense and they can rush the passer on defense. That's what you need. I know everyone loves to say defense and run the ball. Mm, not so much. Brings us to our next team, the Bills, who had a huge win against the Patriots. You know, there was that game on Monday night a few weeks back where the Patriots literally threw the ball, what, three times? And the Bills couldn't stop the Patriots if their lives depended on it on the ground. Well, the Patriots couldn't stop Josh Allen. Their lives depended on it this week. He threw all over them. He ran when he needed to. Picked up a huge fourth down on a naked bootleg late in that game where it looked like he was going to be stopped behind a line of scrimmage. He made two Patriots defenders miss. Isaiah McKenzie came out of nowhere, had a huge game for them. Diggs had some big catches for them. You know, the problem with the Bills is they rely so heavily on Josh Allen. And look, he's a stud. 
and a, a supremely talented player. Big arm, big body, can run. But if he has a slightly off game, they, they, you know, they don't run it particularly well. And their defense is eh. I mean, they have some good players on that defense. You know, Jerry Hughes, Ed Oliver, Tremaine Edmonds, Poyer and Micah Hyde at the safeties are both good players. Uh, Rousseau, the rookie DN from Miami, can play. I mean, they've got some good players over there, but, uh, you know, it's just something's missing. I mean, Tredav- losing Tredavious White hurts. That's a big miss for them, the stud corner at LSU. That's a big miss for them. But that was a huge win. So now they're in the driver's seat. They own the tiebreaker against the Patriots. So I believe that they are now tied with the Patriots, if I'm not mistaken. Let's go to the standings, shall we? I don't know if they want to let me. We'll try. We'll try. We'll see if ESPN.com wants to let me go to the standings. Let's see. Here we go. Okay. You've got the Bills and the Patriots are both 9-6. and six, Correct. Uh, the Bloom appears to be somewhat off the rose of Mac Jones, by the way. He's not played well the last couple of weeks. Not surprising. He's a rookie. The Dolphins, by the way, 8-7. and seven. Won their first game, lost seven in a row, and now won seven in a row. Kudos to Brian Flores, former poly prep grad, and the job he's done with that team. So they're still alive. In the South, we've got the Titans at ten and five, the Colts at nine and six. Colts had a big win on Christmas night against the the, the Cardinals who was, were everybody's darling up until a couple of weeks ago. And then the Lions smacked them around. And then they lost in ugly fashion to the Colts in Arizona on Christmas night. By the way, that was a hideous game. Neither quarterback played well. I mean, Kyler Murray was awful. Carson Wentz was awful. Um, it, was, it was just an ugly game. Matt Prater, who's normally one of the best kickers in the league, missed missed a bunch of kicks. He missed two field goals, an extra point in that game. Uh, that was just hideous football, actually. Now, look, to be fair to the Colts, they had basically backups at every position on the offensive line. Uh, you know, Jonathan Taylor had the one long touchdown run, and the rest of the game was tough sledding for him. Not, not surprising, given the fact that literally, I believe they had backup at every position on the offensive line. It was unbelievable, the Colts. Or maybe they had one starter. Braden Smith, I think, a right tackle. But everybody else was was his backup. Um, and then you've got the Chiefs, as I said, rolling along 11-4. The Chargers had it all in front of them. Of course, Chargers are going to charge her. I mean, first of all, you had this dope Brandon Staley, their head coach, a couple of weeks ago with this idiotic going for it on fourth down every two seconds instead of just kicking field goals. Uh, and then, you know, of course, insulting everybody's intelligence by telling us how much smarter he is than us. And then, you know, and, and then the analytics say to go for it, all this other nonsense. And do, he did his team a complete disservice in that game a few weeks ago. And then, of course, they go into Houston, who's doing nothing more than playing out the string, except for maybe the quarterback, Davis Mills, the rookie out of Stanford, who's, of course, trying to show he belongs in a league. And they went and got, they got uh, whipped by the Texans this weekend. Their defense, who, which normally is good, got destroyed by the Texans. Horrendous. Typical Chargers. Took their little nap like they like to do late in the year. Horrible job by them. Awful. 
And then you go over the... So wait, hold on. Let me go back here. Let's take a look, see who the Bills play the last two games because they're done with the Patriots. They split with the Patriots. Each team won on the other team's home field. So let's see who the Bills have here the last two weeks of the year. They have... They're home against Atlanta. That should be a win. Atlanta's not any good. Um, and then they're home against the Jets. The Bills should win out. I mean, you, you got two home games. One's against a Southern Dome team in the Falcons who, while technically are maybe alive for the playoffs, are not a very good team. And then you're home against the Jets. I mean, please. You got to win both those games if you're Buffalo. You have to. I mean, you, got, you chirped all offseason about how you're ready to take the next step and you've arrived. Well, show us now. Win these next two games. And knock the Patriots out of the, out of winning the division, please. In a year that's supposed to be somewhat of a rebuilding year for the Patriots with the rookie quarterback. And now, well, let's see. Who the Patriots have the last two games? Do they actually have to play anybody good? Because I'm sure, because if it was Tom Brady was still the quarterback for the Patriots, they definitely would have two cupcakes for their last two games because that's part of the charmed life that is Tom Brady. Let's see who they have. Yep. Okay, well, they got one. They're home against Jacksonville this week, so that's a win. And they're at Miami, which is not going to be an easy game. Miami has something to play for, even if it's just pride. Flores is going to want to beat his former team and his former coach. And Belichick, his former boss, rather. So Patriots are definitely winning one at home against Jacksonville this week. But at Miami's tough, tough spot. Look, again, Bills, you control it. Win the last two games. A mediocre at best Falcons team and a bad Jets team. You gotta win and you're home for both. You gotta win both those games. Alright, take a short break. We'll be back right after this. Okay, we are back here on a Tuesday night edition of Jamal About Sports, taking you through the NFL playoff picture. So now we go over to the NFC. Dallas has uh, sewn up the division. Not surprising. It's a very bad division. The Eagles are somehow 8-7. and seven. It's not a very good team. Washington, 6-9. Um, that was, you know, a debacle Sunday night. Um you know, Dallas is, look, Dallas is clicking. They're, on, they're hitting on all cylinders. They've got a really good offense, and they've got some playmakers on D. Michael Parsons, a rookie out of Penn State, has been a revelation. He's a stud, plays some linebacker, plays some defensive end, can rush the passer, can play in space, can play the run. He's been tremendous. They've got Demarcus Lawrence back. He's making plays. Randy Gregory's making plays. Trayvon Diggs with his 10 interceptions in the secondary. Leighton Vander Esch, the linebackers, played well. I mean, they're, they're, they're playing well at all three levels. Dak's playing well. Offensive line's getting healthy. They've got two good backs in, in, in Zeke and, and Pollard. Obviously, the receivers are tremendous with CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper and, and, and Michael Gallup. The Dalton Schultz experience at tight end has been tremendous this year. I mean, look, Dallas, Dallas is stacked across the board. I mean, I hate to say it because, you know, they're year in, year out, the most overrated team in maybe all of sports because of the Cowboys. But objectively speaking, I mean, it's a, it's a very good team. Now, granted, the division isn't any good. You know, you got the Giants who are atrocious. Um, you know, again, not very good Washington team, mediocre Eagles team. But, look, 
They're getting hot at the right time. So they're 11 and 4. They've won the division already. Green Bay's 12 and 3. So they'd be the number one seed right now. Tampa's 11 and 4. The Rams are 11 and 4. Clinch the playoff berth. Arizona 10 and 5. Clinch the playoff berth. Tampa 11 and 4. Clinch the playoff berth. And Tampa's got injury issues all over the place, right? Godwin out for the rest of the year. I think Fournette's done for the rest of the year. Uh, although they can overcome Fournette, I think, with a combination of, of Rojo and, and whomever else. This kid, uh, Keyshawn Vaughn, had a long touchdown run for them the other day against the Panthers. Um, Mike Evans, I think, is on the COVID list now, again. Um, but, you know, they've, they've, got, they've got issues. They've got injury issues. But let's see. So let's see. The Rams. Let's see what the Rams have for their last two games. This is going to be very interesting here because there's a lot still on the line in the NFC. The Rams are a game up now on the, the, the Cardinals to win the West. And they want to have a home field game for sure. So, yeah, we talked about it. They're at Baltimore this week. It's a 1 o'clock game. They... Especially if Lamar Jackson doesn't play, they, they, they need to win that game. And they're home against San Francisco, which they owe San Francisco one. That was ugly. They went up there on Monday night. A couple of drop passes, pick sixes, ugly start, never in the game. They owe San Francisco. San Francisco is going to want to beat them badly, though. San Fran's still alive in the playoff picture. They may still be the last game of the year. Again, even if they're not, it's going to be a pride game for them. Um, Rams need to win these last two games. I mean, listen, no bigger Matthew Stafford fan than I am. Uh, he didn't play great this last week against Minnesota. He had three interceptions, two of which were really bad, deep in his own territory. But they ran the ball well enough. He, he hit Cooper Cup enough to the tune of 10 catches and 109 yards. They got a punt return for a touchdown. So defense and special teams and a running game helped pick Stafford up. He didn't play great in that game. Um, I love the guy. You got to win these last two, Matthew. You got to play well enough and win these last two games. So that would get them to 13 wins. Okay. Let's see. So that's the Rams, 13 wins. Now let's go take a look at who <clears throat> diva, drama queen, liar Aaron Rodgers and the Packers play. And by the way, that heretofore, that is how I will refer to Aaron Rodgers every time I do a show. Diva, drama queen, liar. Because that's what he is. Let's see. The Packers play. Last two games. Well, we know they play at the Lions last game of the year. They've got the Vikings, of course, at home. And it's a national TV game. I mean, the Vikings have no shot. No shot. It's funny that they may think they have a shot. But you have no shot, Minnesota. We'll see if Dalvin Cook plays, but it won't matter. Sunday night game on national TV. That means Green Bay will get every single call. And it's not even the calls that they get. It's the penalties that don't get called on Green Bay. They're down to like a third string left tackle. And somehow it doesn't phase them at all. No issues. Don't get called for holding. No issues at all. They're playing against teams with great pass rushers. You know, Miles Garrett is one of the best passers in the league. Somehow got held sackless going up against a third-string left tackle. Gee, I wonder why. I wonder why. 
Maybe because the guy holds on every freaking play and they never call it because number 12's back there because the, dra- the diva drama queen liar is the quarterback for that team. What a joke. And you know what, TV announcers? I understand that you can't call him a, a diva drama queen liar like I can. I get that. But don't insult our intelligence and pretend that he's not a tool and that the rest of the country other than Packers fans can't stand Aaron Rodgers anymore. I don't need to hear Chris Collinsworth gushing about what a great guy Aaron Rodgers is, okay? Is he a great player? Yeah, he is a great player. It begins and ends there. Again, he's not smart. He's not this engaging personality. Just because he guest-hosted Jeopardy, he thinks he's a Mensa member now. Knock it off. You're dope. Please. So sick of the fawning that goes on for guys that don't deserve it. That's the thing. Aaron Rodgers has not earned that. His play on the field, you want to talk about that? Sure, he is great. Still great player. No question about it. But leave it at that. All right. <laughs> we'll get off a soapbox there. All right, so the Packers are going to win 13 games. So then it's going to be... At minimum 13, probably win 14 games. Again, unless if they need the game against the Lions the last game of the year, they're going to win it. If they don't and they have everything wrapped up, then, you know, and they play whomever their backup quarterback is, I guess it's Jordan Love, um, you know, because the Lions are playing for pride and they're going to want to win that game. And look, they've hung with a lot of teams this year. All right, Tampa Bay is at New York this week. That's a win. And home against Carolina, who stinks. That's a win. All right, so Tampa Bay is winning 13 games. So it's going to be tough. Let's see who the Cowboys play. Let's see if there's any path for the Cowboys. Well, obviously, Green Bay needs to lose at least one game. Cowboys are going to have to win out, and they play. Their last two games are against, let's see, they are against the Cardinals at home. That'll be the national late window game at 425 on Fox, Aikman and Buck um, doing the game. That's going to be a tough game. You know, everyone will assume the Cowboys are going to win that because they're home and they've been hot and the Cardinals have been cold. Watch the Cardinals go in there and beat them. And then they're at the Eagles the last game of the year, a game they should win. But again, you know, the Eagles will want to beat the Cowboys in the worst way if for no other reason if it'll spoil the Cowboys' season. And some, well, it won't spoil their season. It'll diminish perhaps their, their seeding. Right? Cowboys have already won the division. So they're going to get a home game anyway, Dallas, by virtue of winning the division. Their first playoff game is going to be at home. So they, 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 they and they're going to need, again, they're going to need, a, they're going to need help. But you want to go into the playoffs on a hot streak. They've won four in a row. You also want to be healthy. So look, the Cowboys have nothing to play for if their seeding is already determined going to the last game of the year and against the Eagles. 
they may, you know, they, they'd be, well, actually, I, in my mind, they'd be wise to rest Dak and, and their starters. If, if the game doesn't mean anything for them as far as seeding is concerned, they'd be wise to rest those guys. So, still a lot to be determined here in the NFC and in the AFC. So, the last two weeks are going to be exciting, going to be interesting. All right, moving on. Let's talk about the Knicks. Had a nice win on Christmas Day. Granted, no Trey Young for the Hawks, but the Knicks are missing a bunch of guys too. Again, this is the COVID world in which we live now. Um, but the, the most interesting thing has been the, the, the resurrection of Kemba Walker. Now, I believe somebody may have done a podcast about a month ago or three weeks ago when Kemba Walker was first benched and said, this is not, we've not seen the last of Kemba Walker. It's a long season. Guys get hurt. Things happen. He's a pro. He'll stay ready. Who said? Oh, that was me. That's right. That was me that said that. Um, and sure enough, right, COVID ravaging the Knicks roster. You know, Miles McBride, the, the, the rookie, played two games, looked great. Granted, one was against the Rockets, but whatever. He had a great game in that game. And then, of course, he got put on the COVID list. So Thibodeau and then quickly went on the COVID list. And Derrick Rose was hurt. And Derrick Rose is now out for a minimum of two months, probably longer, with a bad ankle. He had to have surgery. So Thibodeau was forced to put Kemba Walker back in the lineup. But sure enough, his first game, he scored 29 against the Celtics in a close loss. Next game, he scored 21 in a win. Um, Then he had 44 in a loss. And then he had... A triple-double on Christmas Day. He only had 10 points, but he had 12 assists and 10 rebounds and played well. And he's been much more aggressive. I think he was probably trying to defer too much, trying to find a groove with Randall. By the way, again, the Knicks aren't struggling because of Kemba Walker solely, right? He, he, He didn't play great, but Randall has not played well this year. Jared Barrett has not played well this year. Evan Fournier has been mostly a disaster this year. The other big free agent acquisition. So it's not all on Kemba Walker. But kudos to him for staying ready, being the pro that he is. You know, I mean, especially in today's society where guys don't, you know, get, get, face a little adversity. You see it in college now, all over the place with guys transferring out every two seconds. You see it in the pros in every sport where, you know, guys hit a little adversity and then they want, immediately want to be traded. They don't show up for practice. You know, like Ben Simmons in Philly. Uh, you know, all, guys do this all over the place. They whine and moan and groan. They become untenable and then make the teams trade them. You know, James Harden did it last year with the Rockets getting made, forcing their hand, getting traded to the Nets. I mean, you see it constantly. The NBA is the worst of them because the players, you know, uh, th- this is the downside. I'm not against players having some control, having control over their own destiny to a point, but the NBA, it's, the, it's by far they have the most power and it's the worst where guys just, you know, hijack their teams and their franchises, right? But Kemba Walker didn't do any of that. He kept his mouth shut, he smiled, he cheered on his teammates, and then when his number was called, he was ready and he's played great. So good for him. But now there's this debate raging where, you know, look, McBride's going to be back tonight. Um, Quickly, he's going to be back either tonight or soon. So what does Thibodeau do? You know, does he play the veterans or does he play the young guys? Look, Thibodeau will play whoever he thinks is given the best chance to win. And Miles McBride is a Thibodeau type of player because he's tenacious on defense and he's not afraid. Same thing with Quentin Grimes. Quentin Grimes right now, by the way, better than Evan Fournier. Should play more minutes than him because he can shoot 
and he defends, and he's tough, and he's not scared. Those guys should both play. But you can do both. You can play the veterans and figure out a way to get the rookies minutes. I mean, look, the Nets were getting Cam Thomas minutes. The Nets are a better team than the Knicks, and he's a rookie. I mean, the two are not mutually exclusive. You don't have to tank the season by playing the rookies, especially if the rookies are good. And these guys are good. Grimes and McBride are good. They're good players. Are they stars? No. Might turn into a star types, though. Look, I think Quentin Grimes could be a better player than R.J. Barrett. I don't care he was drafted 25th and R.J. Barrett was drafted 3rd. I mean, especially in the NBA. I mean, look, where was Kawhi Leonard drafted again? He was like the 18th pick. Donovan Mitchell was the 12th pick. Kevin Knox was the 8th pick. He stinks. Donovan Mitchell's a star. Frank Nilakina was the 8th pick or the 9th pick. Donovan Mitchell's a 12th pick. Nilakina stinks. Donovan Mitchell's a star. Where one was drafted means nothing, particularly in the NBA. We've talked about this a million times, how flawed the talent evaluation and drafting is in the NBA because you have 90% of the guys coming to the league aren't ready because they're one-and-done guys, and they're not ready. Well, McBride and, and Quentin Grimes were not one-and-done guys. And so if you're the Knicks, I think there's actually a promising young core moving forward with Obi Toppin, Grimes, McBride, maybe R.J. Barrett, maybe not. Look, I like McBride so much. I mean, I, I do like McBride a lot, but I like Grimes so much that if there's the right person to get in a trade and you have to include R.J. Barrett, by all means, be my guest. Go right ahead. Now, I'm not doing it for uh, you know, a star who's way past his prime, but if you're going to get maybe Carl Anthony Towns, although I don't think Minnesota's trading him now, that they actually look like they're pretty good, and the Knicks play them tonight, by the way. Um, but if you're getting somebody like that, a, a star-ish type guy in his prime, great. I'm not trading R.J. Barrett and a bunch of young assets and, and, and Deuce McBride and Obi Toppin and a first-round pick for Damian Lillard at 31. I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm just not. Not doing it. Maybe Miles McBride isn't Damian Lillard, but maybe he turns into a really good NBA point guard. And maybe, and you've got him and Grimes and Barrett and Toppin and maybe Mitchell Robinson and, 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 uh, and quickly. And that's your young core. And this Jordan Sims too. Actually, Mitchell Robinson, I, I, I just don't know. There's some nights where you see it from him and then other nights, no. Now, maybe that's a, maybe that's a, a, a product of him still playing his way back into shape because he missed so much time in the offseason and, and, and last year and in the offseason this year. And then he put on all that muscle, which was a bad idea from the beginning. And now he's looking like he's getting his wind back. He's getting his legs back a little bit. We'll see. But... Look, the next next 13 games are against teams that are either 500 or worse. The Knicks are what? Let's see. Let's go to the they I think they're 14 or 15 and 18. Let's see what they are. The Knicks are 15 and 18. So they're 3 games under 500. Again, the ton of time left in the season, right? That's 33 games is 82. So my math the advanced math degree will tell me that there's 57 games left. 57, no. 47 games left. 47 and, and no, that's not right either. <laughs> I am an idiot. Uh, 33, 82 minus 33 is 49. It's 49 games left. It's a ton of time. It's crazy. Knicks 
next 13 games. Give me eight and five. You get back to 500 and away you go. Love to see nine and four and get over 500. But look, everybody's got issues. When with this, with this Omicron and all this COVID nonsense, I mean, it's not nonsense, but I mean, with COVID, I mean, look, Philadelphia's 17 and 16, Boston 16 and 18, Toronto's 14 and 16. That's just in their division. I mean, the Eastern Conference, I mean, the Hawks are compromised. Everybody's compromised. I mean, Brooklyn looks really good. Milwaukee's starting to hit their stride. You know, Washington is, is, but I mean, Washington's 17 and 16. The Heat are pretty good at 21 and 13. But my point is, I mean, the Knicks could be the sixth seed, the fifth seed. Cleveland's been a big surprise at 20 and 13. They got a really good young core. J.B. Bickerstaff, their young coach, Bernie's son, has done a great job there, and they just extended him. Good for them. Um, but there's plenty of season left here. So, look, I want to see these young guys play. I think Thibodeau will figure out a way to get these guys minutes. Again, I don't think the two need to be mutually exclusive. But the bottom line is, look, they beat Atlanta the other day. Randall played well. He had a good game finally. He was efficient. He made his threes. He didn't turn a ball over a ton like he's been doing this year. He played a great game. You know, but, but, but Grimes was great with five threes and tough defense. We talked about Walker's triple-double. Fournier actually had a good game, too. See, that's the thing. I mean, Randall needs to play well. Barrett needs to play well. Barrett's got to get his legs under him. He missed a lot of time with COVID, too. But Barrett and Randall don't play well. Nick's not going to win. So those guys have to play better. But let's see Toppin continue to play and, and, and grow. Let's see McBride continue to play and grow. Let's see Grimes. And quickly. I love it. I actually think there's tons of reason to watch the Knicks for the rest of the season. And fine, be the fifth seed, you know, hopefully play a tough first round. If you win, great. If you lose, not the end of the world. But the big decision the Knicks are going to have to make, we'll see. I mean, look, if, if, if Randall... I mean, Rand, the jump Randall made from his first year to his second year with the Knicks was incredible. Nobody saw it coming, and he went from being a guy who put up numbers on bad teams and was, was a player that you're not going to win with to a guy who put up great numbers on a good team and was the, one of the main reasons why they won. And then he had a horrible playoffs against Atlanta, and he has not played well this year for the most part. His numbers look fine. I mean, his shooting percentages are down, particularly three. It's way down. I mean, he shot 41% from three last year. That's tremendous for any position, particularly a power forward. He's down in the 30s this year. He turns the ball over way too much. He dribbles the ground way too much, holds the ball way too much. He's played poorly this year. He just has. Not a bad guy. He's a good guy. Wants to win, cares, plays hard. But if he doesn't turn it around, uh, Nick's got to move on from him. He's not a, even at his best, he is not a top dog on a championship caliber team anyway. But if he does not turn it around for the rest of this year and goes back to being the old Randall, the ball stopper Randall, the turn, five turnovers a game Randall with flashes of brilliance here and there, but not enough consistency to get you over the hump, uh, they're going to have to look to move on from the guy. I'm sorry. Now, look, I hope he turns it around. But it'll be very interesting. 
That and to me, I mean, that's 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 a huge reason to watch. I mean, look, Knicks are very frustrating to watch at times. They have stretches on offense where they are maddening, and and they just they get one possession wor- worse than the one before. Horrible shot selection. Hold the ball too long. Ball stagnates. Doesn't move around. But again, these next thirteen games, I think, will determine a lot. You'd love nine and four. You'll take eight and five. Again, get back to 500 and then see if you can get on a little bit and then keep the roll going and, you know, finish the year six, eight games over 500. All right, that's going to do it for tonight's show. As always, check us out on uh, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. We're there. Uh, SoundCloud as well. Twitter, at Jamal about sport, no S. Until then, enjoy... The rest of the bowl games, considering the ones that get played, we didn't even talk about the playoffs, which are on Friday. Um, Alabama, Michigan, Cincinnati. I'm sorry, not Alabama, Michigan. Um, Michigan, Georgia, Alabama, Cincinnati. Uh, We'll cover those next week when we do another show. Until then, Happy New Year. Peace out.